0: you've got to have a lot of creativity especially with you know limb deficiencies or brain injured people who you know parts of their body don't work anymore or are quite weaker than the others so yeah the exercise prescription is really really different so Chris Byrne he's one of the senior exercise physiologists at Airworth in Richmond he's been there for many many years he actually has a course that I've helped teach him a couple of times for exercise prescription for complex rehab. So there's so many things there that you can learn from a general day-to-day kind of thing using bands and just a step and very minimal exercise equipment, but using that creativity.
1: Welcome
2: to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6 p.m. where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favorite podcast app. Welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. My name is Jack McLean, and I'm your host. And today, my guest is Brianna McGrath. She is our strength conditioning coach for the Corporal Grammarian Senior Women's Football Team for Season 2022. And for all those new to the podcast, our mission here at Prepare Like a Pro is to empower aspiring athletes and staff with practical knowledge from some of the industry's most inspiring individuals and to strengthen the AFL community. If you like the show, please show your support by following us on Instagram and subscribing to the podcast. We're on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. Welcome, Brianna. Thanks for jumping on.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
2: And the the girls had their first session the other night and you took them yeah. through. Nice warm-up routine and and some training.
0: Yeah. I think it was a bit different with the warm up, but they seemed to enjoy it. Yeah. it. Didn't scare them off too much. Didn't didn't be too much of a bully. That was nice.
2: Yeah, a nice way to start. And you can sort of build as you go. <laughs> get some wins on the board early. But for those that yeah. aren't aware of your your work brown right can you want take us through a bit of a, a background of yeah, how you started in the industry and and a lead up to to what you're currently doing now in strength conditioning?
0: Yeah. So I guess mine, I guess somewhat of a little bit of a different pathway. I, instead of doing year 12, so I quit school after year 11 and I always wanted to be a personal trainer. So always been super active, playing netball, dancing when I was a teenager. And then I actually hurt my hip playing netball. So I tore my hip flexor muscle off the bone. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I ended up having surgery and doing rehab for that. So by then I had started my cert three and four in fitness. So I was 17 and came to Melbourne, did some rehab with John Quinn. So a lot of yeah, a lot of my I guess pathway really has been driven by him. So he's someone that's really inspired me to do what I'm actually doing. Without him, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah. So he kind of really just educated me through seeing him. So I didn't know what an exercise physiologist actually was. So seeing him for rehab for my hip and then he sort of, as we got to know each other, saw each other twice a month and then once a month over the 12-month period. Obviously, he knew I was a personal trainer and then he sort of taking me into that direction of I really enjoyed what he was doing with me and I wanted to be able to do that with others. So he told me exactly the pathway I needed to take. So he told me to come back to Melbourne when I was 18 and do my Diploma of Fitness through Big Uni. And at the time, because that was a really great course for it. So I did my Diploma of Fitness at Big Uni. And then went into my Bachelor of Clinical Exercise Science there. And then I went into my Master's of Exercise Physiology. And it was when I was doing either my diploma or my Master's. I can't remember which one, but Michael from Melbourne Fitness and Performance, he actually came in and did a session with us. And I really enjoyed what he was showing us from a strength conditioning point of view in the weights room. Because obviously, EP is very clinical-based. Really enjoyed what he was doing. And obviously he told us his pathway and that he was a strength and conditioning coach and he did his master's through Edith Cowan university. And I was like, yeah, I want to do that as well. So I kind of thought, yeah, I'll do that straight after I've finished my EP master." But after five years at uni, I was like, yeah, that's enough for a while. So took a break, worked in the industry. So I've been working at Epworth for the last six years in trauma rehab. So working with brain injury, stroke, amputees and any other musculoskeletal trauma from accidents and then it was this year earlier this year I decided I wanted to go into more study and that I'd go do that master's in strength conditioning through ECU and yeah here I am so I am one year down six more months to go
2: fantastic
0: yeah that's That's, the
3: pathway a bit of a long one but
2: that's great to get. It gives provides a lot of context in terms of yeah, your passion, obviously, for health and fitness and helping others. I can only yeah. imagine you have got a strong passion for that. Would be it would have its huge rewards, no doubt. But helping people that have gone through that that significant amount of trauma. How, how did you find that early days while you were new to the role? Was it quite intimidating or or yeah. confronting dealing with it? Yeah.
0: yeah, absolutely. So I started at Epworth in Richmond, so brain injury, neurological trauma, so anything from yeah stroke. Parkinson's, spinal cord injuries, brain injuries, all of the things, mostly brain injuries. And so it's quite confronting because they're, they're people our age. You know, most of them are oh. in their 20s, 20s and 30s who have been in car accidents or who have had traumatic events ha- happen to them. So kind of being exposed to all of those injuries was pretty confronting. And I guess seeing, you see on the, you know, the TV or you hear on the radio every day, there's been an accident here and there. And you don't get the gist of how serious it is in that situation because you're not going to, but then you get that file in the hospital and that's the accident mm. and this is how injured that person is. So, yeah, really confronting at first, I, I went through a stage where I was like, wow, and, you know, you, you feel a little bit sorry for them, but probably after about six months, been really lucky to have some amazing senior clinicians I've worked with at Epworth who you just have to have a different outlook on it. You really have to empower them basically and you get such a good reward out of you know showing them everything that they can do rather than things that they can't do
2: Mm. and
0: it it just gives you so much perspective as well yeah Um, yeah just how lucky we actually are not to take things for granted how quickly life can change you know all of these people would say i never thought that was going to be me and then it is so yeah it can be really really heavy but so enjoyable at the same time when you take that different pathway of yeah, not feeling sorry for them, but empowering them and just helping them get on with it and showing them everything that they can do with the new life that they've been given.
2: And how do you, you mentioned having senior supervisors for experience, which I imagine leaning on them will help. But when you're mm. dealing with such a complex case in terms of exercise selection and programming, like surely the S&C prescription in a sense sort of goes out the window and you've got to be, you've got to sort of create your own, not rules yeah. necessarily, but your own planning.
0: 100%. Yeah. You've got to have a lot of creativity, especially with, you know, limb deficiencies or brain injured people who, you know, parts of their body don't work anymore mm. or are quite weaker than the others. So yeah, the exercise prescription is really, really different. So Chris Byrne, he, he's one of the senior exercise physiologists at Eckworth in Richmond. He's been there for many, many years. He actually has a course that I've helped teach him a couple of times for exercise prescription for complex rehab. So there's so many things there that you can learn from a general day-to-day kind of thing using bands and just a step and very minimal exercise equipment, but using that creativity. So it goes through all of your anatomical slings. So it's really heavy on knowing your anatomy, knowing your biomechanics of where to place force and an axis, and then you just make the rest up essentially. So yeah, it's really good. That's the kind of stuff I really love. I love that challenge of having to, yeah, not be able to just sometimes do the generic squats and split squats and deadlifts and things like that, that you do have to modify it, particularly say for an amputee who, yeah, it might be a bit different for them.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, you're really coming into a coach when you're thinking, you know, when you've got to think laterally and, and come up with yeah. ideas. And like you said, that change try and help them with that mindset of what you can do when there's so much they can't. And- absolutely. Yeah. How do you feel that's helped you set up now that you're you're doing like you mentioned a year into your masters, you're doing, you know, group strength conditioning and with body fit, but also down for commands with the girls. So you're starting to get yeah. more exposure to athlete development. Have you found that those experiences are really helping transition from a from a performance side, I guess, from, from sport development?
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think I've actually learned the other side as well, that there's a lot of the strength conditioning sort of principles and com- concepts that I can actually could have applied in that rehab setting and how to sort of bridge a little bit of that gap from a, an earlier phase rehab, I guess you could say to more of a long-term mid to late stage rehab mm-hmm. and getting that return to play or return to recreational activity if you were someone in the more clinical setting. So I found in terms of the strength conditioning that it has given me a better understanding of, I guess, all of the things that could be different that, you know, everything's not just textbook and as easy as it seems on paper that you do have to have a lot of diversity in your exercise prescription in that toolbox. Basically, you need to have a lot of tools in the toolbox to, you know, take a different approach because no athlete is going to be the same. So no individual, no athlete, no one is going to be the same. Even if it is the same injury, say it's an ACL, you're not going to have the same ACL rehab for every single person. There's going to be somewhat of the same, but you're going to have to change things up every now and then. So it's definitely helped me get a better, deeper understanding and more examples to draw on. Yeah, obviously different in its own sense as well, but I think it will certainly help from a rehab point of view. Yeah. In a and, sporting context.
2: And you mentioned, yeah, the significant injury of a hip flexor, which is yeah it's a, it's a challenging injury to have in terms mm. of healing time and and then the process of rehabilitation and, and having John Quinn in your quarter, it couldn't be a better person, I can imagine, mm. in terms of, yeah, getting you from that early stage through to back to p- performance and being an athlete again. But how did you get in contact with John Quinn and, and what did you really you know, start to like about how he went about it, the craft that made you think Jeez, this would be a career that I'd like to follow?
0: Yeah, so my sports medicine doctor that I was referred to in Melbourne was Karen Holzer. And she had quite a direct affiliation with my surgeon, John O'Donnell. And then John Quinn, the kind of the three of them had quite a connection in the, in the medical system. So they would always refer their patients on to each other. So I got on to John through Karen at Olympic Park Sports Medicine back then. And it was really just the, I think it's his engagement that he can keep you so engaged. He can really change things for the person that he's got in front of him. So he's very thorough on you know, the activity you're doing, what you like, what you don't like, but then educating you about the things that you really need to do for your recovery as well, but has a way of implementing that in a way that is going to get that buy-in for you and keep you engaged in your rehab program. He just has a really good manner as well. Like he's so nice, so caring, clearly has a passion for what he does. I just felt really comfortable with him and that he actually, he did care and he was really there for me that I wasn't just, you know, another number coming through. And so, and he kind of just took me under his wing naturally. I think like I felt like he was, quite educative every time he was telling me what we were doing and why we were doing it. And so I really, yeah, I think that's what really drew me to him the most um, that Mm -hmm. I sort of like looked up to him and what he was doing. And then obviously I thought it was pretty cool being 17. I was like, found out he was Chris Judd's speed coat.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: But yeah, I was like, Oh, you can do such cool things. Like, you know, here I was thinking, so I'd never knew what an exercise physiologist was before that. I was always going to be a personal trainer in a small country town of Kyabrum Mm -hmm. for the rest of my life. So I'm really grateful to John, for pointing me in the direction that he did, because I honestly, if I didn't have the injury and I didn't meet him, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today.
2: Great insight, and, and it's amazing how sometimes what can seem a ne- negative thing at the time can turn into such a, a positive experience. Long, you know, down the line. But you, you mentioned then as well the the passion that you found with you know, guest lecturer Michael Crite coming down and talking about strength and conditioning and more the strength and power by the same thing in the gym. Uh, what excited you about that prospect, and and then obviously a couple of years later, you continued that passion in terms of now going into your masters what excited you about the I guess the strength and power side of things
0: I honestly think it was and I'd finally obviously found something that I was really passionate about so I hated school I didn't want to be there I only really liked doing PE in the sporting activities or something that I was interested in so I think first and foremost, when he was there, the knowledge that he had and the things that he was teaching us—it was—it was literally just a session about deadlifting and squat. But I just really, really loved how much he was teaching us, and I realized how much I—I I didn't know. Like I always think of the saying, "The more you know, the more you don't know," and I guess that really highlighted it—that you know, he was talking about what his experiences were and how how I could see that passion in him and how happy it made him. And I was like, yeah, he really enjoys what he does. And he made it seem really fun and an enjoyable career to be in. So I think that was the first thing. And then I clearly found that for me as well. Cause I was like, yeah, like it was something inside me just ignited. And I was like, I really like to do this as well. And I looked at how I could definitely interact both of them together in that rehab and strength
2: conditioning point of view. And we were talking off here, you did, you've done, I think about four classes this morning at body fit. First one starting at five (laughs) and and last one at 10, which is, Great experience, of course, in terms of people management, being able to manage a group and, and take them through an experience over 60 minutes, not just training, but also you know, it's probably the highlight of their day before they go to work or, or whatever they're, they're taking on that day. How do you feel that aspect of, of coaching is helping you as a, as a practitioner?
0: Yeah, I think it definitely, it gives me the ability to work in group environments and be able to think on the fly, act on the fly, you know, change your approach with every single person that walks through that door. So everyone is different. Everyone requires different needs. You know, it's a group training environment. So it's the same program that everyone is following. But most times there's at least a few people in the class that are going to need some sort of modification or variation depending on what their needs are. And you're not going to know that until they walk in the door. So so changing that up, you know, being able to, you know, someone might be having a pretty crappy day and just being able to change that while you're there, creating a fun environment. I love how everyone like gets around each other as well. So I think it teaches you to work in those group environments. The, obviously the public speaking side of things is helpful as well. You know, you intro a class, you you speak in front of groups of people. Sometimes it's up to 36 people in a class. so. You know, you you are speaking in somewhat bigger numbers, which can be intimidating, but it it gives you that skill of being able to do that and instructing a variation of a lot of different exercises. So, yeah, I can obviously see how that's going to help in more group-based settings and team sports where
2: it's obviously big numbers. And, yeah, you're building up some great experiences, pretty much everything that health and fitness industry has to offer in terms of the clinical side. You can your master's exercise physiology, one-on-one work, private work. Rehabilitation and then now, you know, getting into large groups like we're talking about, sporting teams, body fit classes, uh, the, the strength and conditioning side of things. Where do you sort of see yourself going over the next sort of five years? Or do you just focus on the now and doing the best you can with these current roles? Is it fluid or, or have you sort of got an end goal in mind in terms of, yeah, this is where I want to, this is where I'm heading and all these experiences are helping me shape towards that end goal?
0: I definitely have in my head that I have experiences shaping an end goal for me. However, I am very much quite fluid that any opportunity that I'm, I will throw myself into any opportunity I can get because I think that helps build diversity and experience, which is so important no matter where you go and what you do. So my end goal, ideally, I would love to work in Paralympics or disabled, but I would also love to work in high performance, able-bodied sport as well. So I do have a passion for both, but I would really love the variety because I still love that. That challenge and complexity, like I said, of working with disabled athletes. and I love, you know, making such a difference in people's lives, and you can do that in both sides. So, yeah, I'd really love to do both. But disability sport is somewhere I'd really like to, a path I'd like to go
2: down. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing. And in terms of looking back at your career at this point, are there any stories or, or maybe potentially clients or athletes that really surprised you in the in the growth that they experienced working under yourself that you'd like to share? things that pop up, I guess, front of mind.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many different patients and, and things like that that come to mind. But, you know, one, he actually just emailed me this morning, out of the blue, a patient that I had through Epworth who he experienced literally just peripheral neuropathy where your limbs become like pins and needles and they start from your fingertips and your feet and then, you know, it can work more closely, kind of presents like motor neuron disease. Which is what this guy thought he had for many, many years. So he's in his, he was in his 50s or 60s when I first met him and was in a wheelchair, could barely do anything. He was super weak every, you know, had young kids, things like that, and had never been in the hospital and rehab sort of realm. So he didn't know all of these opportunities he had ahead of him. So working with him, he really just liked to get in there and try anything, which was great. So you could throw anything at him and he'd give it a go. Some would work, some would not. So we we managed to find a few different devices that would help him hold on to weights and cable machines and things like that. And he's doing that. And then we got onto some closes for his feet and his knees to help hold his legs and ankles straight so that he could try and walk. And he just emailed me this morning, actually. And yeah, I just he really stands out to me because he's never given up. He's always kept trying. It's lovely just to see how big of a difference you made in someone's life. He only was there for a few months but the different tools and things that we gave him, he's forever grateful and it's so nice to hear from him and see all the things that he's now doing because of just showing him a few things and devices that were available to him. It's it's so nice to hear and see um, and I think you kind of forget how much of a difference you can make in people's lives. You know, and you can compare that to just, a, you know, an AFL or an AFLW person playing footy and they do their ACL, we probably don't realize how much that really does affect them and their life and their potential career and future. And so, you know, what might seem like a simple, straightforward rehab can really affect them and how much of an impact you can play in their, their rehab process might impact them for the rest of their life. So, yeah, he's one that's really stood out to me. It's just he, his attitude towards it all, you know, willing to try anything... You know, no matter how scary it might seem, if he's going to fall over or anything like that, he'll give it a go. And it's clearly showing because now he's got these and he can actually walk and stand up instead of sitting in a wheelchair all the time.
2: Yeah. It's amazing. What an inspiring yeah. story. Talk about rewarding work. There's
0: mm, much better yeah. than
2: that. Nah, it's, yeah, it's phenomenal. Really love it. In your experience and in working in, with these cases, like how much of of your time percentage-wise, I guess, are you spent sort of listening and and letting them vent, so to speak, and then also being able to not dictate, but give them really clear targets and focuses of what you want them to do. You know, give them advice on this is what you got to focus your energy on, you know, and giving direction around how to structure their their training or their day, so to speak.
0: Yeah, I think that happens all the time and, and quite a lot, to be honest. Every session that you're doing, you're constantly reassuring, reaffirming, reiterating lots of things that you've pr- provided education on maybe already. You might be, you know, something else might have come up in the week and you've got to educate them about that. So there's, there's quite a lot, of, a lot of that when you're working with them. But it's, it's often just reiterating and sort of reassuring them that, you know, it's okay, like the situation that they're in and kind of giving them some reason behind it and some context and then they kind of understand and you can, you can just build upon that. Sure, there's a lot of times you've got to take them back, and you might have to write out a plan of like this is step one, this is step two, this is step three, or create a short-term goal list for them. So it changes depending on who you're working with, but there's certainly, yeah, there's a lot of it, and I think that's a lot of what we do. We we provide education to our athletes and individuals, and then we provide that reassurance and you know encouragement that, you know, it's not doom and gloom. There's light at the end of the tunnel, and we will get through this, that nothing lasts forever. So yeah, and it's just changing the steps that you put in place for all of those people, depending on the person. Some need that really clear pathway. Some just need to focus on what tomorrow is going to bring. So it's being able to change that person on person to person, which yeah, with all the experiences that I've had, I've learned to, to do that in multiple ways. Some you learn on the fly and you didn't think it would have worked, but it did. And some epically fail and you got to try something else. But, yeah, there's a, lot. there's a
2: lot of planning and reaffirming and resetting goals, definitely. And on the, on the flip side, challenges that you've faced, perhaps a, a relapse with a rehab client or, or yeah, any challenges, significant challenges that you've faced and how have you mm-hmm. learned and, and grown from it from a professional point of view and personal?
0: Yeah, I think personally my biggest challenge, and it does come into professionally, is I'm a perfectionist. And I, I can't control everything. I can only control the controllables and I can only lead a horse to water. I can't make it drink. So I think the biggest battle that I have and in a lot of us would probably have when we are so passionate about doing what we do is we know how much of an impact we can make on people's lives and in their rehab and in their performance. And we can give them all the tools to do that. But at the end of the day, if we don't have their buy-in or that's not their prerogative, we can't do any more. And that's not a ref- representation of our ability to do our job. And I think that's something that we always need to understand and realize. And like I'm still learning, I have different, you have different experiences where it comes up and, you know, say an athlete, you know, doesn't pass a fitness test or they don't get back as soon as you'd hoped, you know, automatically you're going to self-reflect and think, what have I done? What could I have done better as a strength coach to give them their best chance they had? Why, where did we go wrong? You know, you know, was there a fitness test I missed or did I misread something, you know? And so I think it, you know, you can't control everything. And yeah, those things are going to happen and it's just what it is. And I guess it kind of moves into like a quote that I think about a lot is like care, not carry. I was actually told that from one of my senior clinicians at Epworth. She actually gave it to me when I was just starting out and I was, you know, burning out left, right and center. Cause I was just throwing absolutely everything into what I was doing and, you know, I really did I, I I can care but I was carrying everything on the weight of my shoulders. Every night I would go home and I was thinking about things that I could do with different patients and you know if we don't do that that doesn't mean we don't care and we're not trying to do well at our job. But we need there needs to be a balance. Otherwise yeah, you're not going to be able first. to do exactly. Yeah. You're not going to be
2: able to do your job in the long run. Yeah, it's got to be sustainable for sure. And what about yeah. common mistakes either you've witnessed from other practitioners that you've learned from and, or, or with yourself that you found that you know, you'd love to tell yourself 10 or 5 years ago?
0: I think it's important to really actually listen to your patient or your athlete or your individual in front of you and sometimes the guidelines, the rule books, they have to go out the window or your plans yep. and that's okay. I think that's the biggest one is, you know, and not everything is to, to the T and what the paper says, and that is okay. You know, first and foremost, you're treating the person in front of you, not an athlete. And that's super important to remember that you you have all these grand plans and things you should do and shouldn't do. But when you've got that individual in front of you, that, that's your priority over anything else to do with them being an athlete or the next step ahead for them.
2: And what about favourite ways to develop yourself, Brianna? Like is there, from a podcast point of view, workshops, professional development, yeah, you know, articles, what's your favourite way to, I guess from it, yeah, you know, on a weekly basis or, you know, what do you gravitate the most in terms of learning, speaking to other practitioners as well?
0: Yeah, I think I throw myself in a whole mix of them, to be honest. I'll listen to different podcasts if there's, you know obviously right now it's the strength and conditioning world. I'm trying to gain a lot more experience in and the the early, the high performance side of things with sport. So listening to various podcasts, you know, looking at what different people are doing online and then sort of checking in with what I've learned at, say, uni and articles that I've read based on what our lecturers have given us, but really just trying to immerse myself with, as many different methods as I possibly can. Greg Hath actually suggested a book to us while we were away the last couple of weeks called The CEO Strength Coach. And like I've had a little bit of a read so far, obviously. It's a, it's a really great book, I think, particularly for people like myself who are junior coaches just coming into the field. But I think, you know, experienced coaches like yourself and many others would probably take a lot out of it on just, you know, always striving to perfect your own craft and, you know, throwing yourself into volunteer roles as much as you can and and working with a variety of different people to give yourself that diversity in your role, which is obviously going to progress you further in your career and getting involved with as many sort of professional organizations as you can as well to get more experience. You know, I think from looking on the outside in, I think the volunteer roles can sometimes cop a bit of flack but you know, people don't think they should be doing them if they're, you know, qualified, you know, you could have a master's in strength and conditioning and you could be an exercise physiologist, but if I don't, you know, there's a difference between me being qualified and me being qualified with experience. So yeah, I think know. that's really important.
2: Apply yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, and the old saying of, yeah, you've got to work from the bottom and work up. It's true. There's a line of knowing your worth and, and you know, not being used and abused by people, but you've also got to pay your dues a little bit too, and go through the volunteer roles sometimes to yeah. get that experience and learning. And I think if you're really passionate about what you do and you love what you do, none of that's going to really affect your ego or affect how you feel about the job.
2: And it's easy to say, but it's it's quite an issue topic, like you you mentioned there with the volunteer roles that. It is quite a hot topic at the moment in Australia in terms of what's right. But ultimately, you know, if you're going to work, want to work with elite athletes, you probably don't want to be making common mistakes with elite athletes. So it's probably your best interest to you know, build experience at the lower levels first. Not that you want to be making mistakes with them, but just to learn the environment and how to you know, cue an athlete program for an athlete you know, through assisting first before leading and getting you know, significant roles later on. That's going to set you... Know, yourself up and it's certainly for less stress as well down the track
0: 100% pressure and like i would agree like that's the way i see it and i think the ones that don't probably controversial but the ones that don't i don't think they're going to go far
2: yeah in their careers no, yeah. like
0: they're going to be pretty stagnant like they're not going to progress you've got to have that open mind with your learning and your career
2: i think if you want to go far Absolutely. And on that topic, in terms of books, have you got another two books or documentaries that you think would be good for listeners to take on, either from it for the coaches listening in or? or-
0: That's the main, like, the main one, like coaching wise. There's obviously, like, I've kind of looked at the whole self development, professional development kind of pathway as well. I'm a big textbook reader. I do read, like, I really like Martin Bechet's HIT book, um, mm-hmm. the high intensity Interval training book. I've touched a lot on that, and I find that quite helpful now working with. Caulfield Grammar Girl on how I can implement that kind of training in that environment to help improve their performance. But yeah, knowing when to dial it back and boss. I'd mentioned obviously Jay Shetty. His book, Think Like a Monk, I think is really, really good as well. It does just help with your communication, reflection. And I think that's really helped me grow as a person and to deal with different individuals because I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges working with people is people. (laughs) Um, You know, you... You need to change your approach with every single person that's put in front of you. And I think it's important to come from that place of understanding, no matter who you've got in front of you, whether it, it is them, you know, absolutely going ham on you, try and come from that place of understanding. Otherwise, your response is going to be reflective of their
2: actions as well. So that's great. That's it's a good, nice range from the technical side with and Boucher to the, the more holistic people side with, was it Jay Shetty? Is that? Right. Yeah, yeah, Jay yeah.
0: Shetty. Yeah. Right I really also, I love the Unitioning for Sports Performance textbook from Ian Jeffrey and I think it might be Jeremy Moody as well. Like that's a great, a great book for strength and unitioning and different principles of training and things like that as well. So yeah, I'm a big, big textbook <laughs> you... professional library kind of girl.
2: Yeah, that's good. You got to have, you got to know the rules before you can break them. So that's good to yeah. get background knowledge for sure. If we could put a banner on a, on a player's bedroom, what, what would it read?
0: Yeah. So, this is a quote I actually, I, you know, I always have liked the cliche quote, probably of never let the fear of striking out keep you from playing the game. And you can look at that at any perspective in life. But one that Greg Half actually gave to us when I was in Perth a couple of weeks ago is talent determines what you can do, motivation determines how much you are willing to do an attitude determines how well you do it. Yeah. So that was from Lou Holt. So I think that can be a really good one that you can apply, you know, when you're in a rehab setting, when you had a shit game, whatever it might be, that you can apply that in so many different ways. You yeah. know, you can have, have the talent but not a great attitude or, you know, you might not be as good as the best in your team, but, you know, you're doing everything you can to get there and your attitude's good and sometimes that's good enough.
2: 100%. And what about in your work life? Do you have pet peeves, anything that fires you up?
0: Yeah, I was actually telling the girls this. So obviously the late one, I think that's a pretty common one in the strength conditioning world. It, you know, If you're 10 minutes early and we actually copped this at our prep the other week, if we were 10 minutes early, we're on time. If you're five minutes early, you're late. And if you're on the time that it says to start, you shouldn't even bother of coming. And yeah, you'd you'd cop a bit of punishment if you did. So safe to say nobody was late.
2: Yeah, it was burpees Um, or something. I think we were on the phone at point. Yeah, burpees.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I was on the phone to you and I was standing at the door ready to do a weights class and I looked at the coach and I was like, oh, gosh, he's going to say it any second now. (laughs) So, yeah, I didn't cop the burpees, thankfully. But, yeah, I think that is one. But another one I was saying to the girls is warming up and recoveries are two things that I think are super valuable that athletes, people in general, do not do enough and properly. And so one of my pet peeves with warm-ups is when people take about 10 steps in between doing a, an, a drill in terms of, so say <laughs> someone's doing like a hamstring stretch where you sweep your foot. Yeah. So they'll do one sweep on one leg, they'll take about five steps and then they'll do another one on the other foot to rather the than the just... Cone. Yeah, exactly, yeah. to get to the cone rather than taking one step on one leg and then straight onto the other. So stuff like that is one of my pet peeves where people <laughs> cheat cheat the warm up and i think you know that's that's something that you have to sort of educate people on the importance of it some will learn the hard way some will will listen but yeah getting that value of the warm up for your session following yep. is super important but yeah that's probably one of my pet peeves is people not doing those kind of things properly i am a bit of a technique nazi and structure which is sometimes to my own detriment obviously but that's one thing that really, yeah, gets me going when people do that. Just yeah. get to the cone as quick as they can.
2: No, it's a, there's a couple of good ones there, but the coaches will be happy because time is precious at, you know, semi-community level football. So to be able to make sure everyone's ready to go on a timely manner helps you get more time into football drills and, and helping everyone get better. So that's a good one. And then, yeah, the, the inchworms are classic when people will just start adding 10 walks in between each rep <laughs> of an inchworm. It, it always creeps in somewhere. But what about favorite way to spend your, your day off?
0: Yeah. Again, like I say, structured kind of girl. Love to just wake up when I wake up, which is usually probably about six, seven. Yep. Then I'll go to the gym. I'll go to the gym or I'll go for a run. Just like to have that slow morning, come home, cook my breakfast and then my housemate's got a little staffy pup so we take him to the dog park or I'll just take him for a walk I love the beach the beach is an epic place to be if you ask me I just love to just chill out Um, or uh, yeah doing an activity I'm pretty hopeless at being a homebody Uh, I've got to get out of the house and get about somewhere so yeah love to just either walk around and explore do some sort of activity
2: but the beach is usually where you'll find me fantastic it's like getting out amongst nature is no better to reach us than What about, uh, we'll, we'll start to wrap it up. Thanks, Brianna, for, for coming on and sharing with us your experiences, what wide range of experiences, which has been really good, particularly dealing with the clinical side in trauma of injuries and rehabilitation. I don't think I've had someone on and, and talked to, to that level of work that we can be doing and, and the profound impact that you've had with people. For 2023, so we're filming this the 1st of December of, of 22. And what, what's on the you know, how are you wrapping up the year for the next month? And then also what are you excited about for, for 23? What's on the horizon for you?
0: Yeah, so I guess how I'm wrapping up is what I'm also looking forward to for next year. So obviously with the Caulfield girls, with the footy, I will be working with them up until Christmas and then we'll obviously have a bit of a break and then we'll get started in 2023. So I am really excited to get started with them. It's my first time in AFL sport. Yep. So really looking forward to the season with them next year. And just the opportunities that I'm going to get or start to try and throw myself into, you know, finishing uni, working with such a variety of different people. I plan to, you know, throw myself into as many internships or roles like this that I possibly can. And I'm just excited for where that might take me. It's it's different, you know, like I'm, I'm out of the hospital system now. It's It's a big change, although similar in a lot of ways.
2: It is yeah. a big change
0: and... I am really excited to see, yeah, what that has to offer for me.
2: Bright future ahead, no doubt. I'm really excited to have you part of our team for, for 23 and really looking forward to seeing what the year brings for you. And yeah, thankful that you're working with the, the girls. Hopefully they can have another successful season. At Corfell Cabrera, there's some great people there, so I think you'll be a really good fit and make an impact straight away with the girls. So, Thank you for jumping on again and sharing with us some stories and insights into strength and conditioning and working with athletes. For those listening into the live chat as well, the episode here, if you tuned in halfway through, make sure to listen to the very start or live on our YouTube channel until we post it on our podcast in an upcoming Wednesday. And our next live chat is with Vince Kelly that is today at one o'clock Australian Eastern Standard Time. So make sure to join us then. Brianna, for anyone that wants to follow up with any questions, whether they're listening now or perhaps in the future in a, in a podcast, where's the best place to get in contact for either socials or, or email? Where, where can they find you to ask a question?
0: Yeah, so my email is brianna.mcgras92 at gmail.com. So it's yep. Brianna with an E. And then my Instagram, happy for people to Instagram me on that. That's just L double E. Feel free to reach out on any of those. I'm happy to chat anytime. Yeah, whenever.
2: Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing those. Awesome. Thanks, Brianna. Thanks again for jumping on.
0: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
2: If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content, such a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian on the football club. What are things that that fire you up?
3: Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their N of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then changes. We like
2: yeah, game change.
3: changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah,
2: yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member, Rama Davies, the strength conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us. Awesome. So he's another Box Hill man Love that. Uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll hand it over to you, Rama, to, to ask your question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was. Uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> Um,
1: my, my, my question to you was, you spoke a,
2: a quite a bit about, um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or, um, do physically that, um, you wish you either knew or did, um, uh, back at the beginning of your career?
1: Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, Yeah. So I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it, yeah, certainly, yeah, has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much, um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is, is gratitude. I spend a lot of my time, um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts,